I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode of 12 Back Radio is made possible by Nextiva, the official communications partner of the Pac-12 and the best business phone service is chosen by U.S. News and World Report. Nextiva helps companies all over Pac-12 countries stay connected with customers and coworkers using one easy-to-use app. Get Nextiva for your business to get business phone service, video conferencing, team chat, call reporting, EMAS, all for a fraction of what you would pay for those services separately. Make great calls every day. Visit nextiva.com slash 12pack to get started. Nextiva.com slash 12pack to get started. Oh, South Kakalaka! Don't you dare be sour! Clap for your world-famous full-time champs and feel the power! It's a new day. Yes, it is. For 12-pack radio, get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to 12-Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, the home of the Bay Area College Football Statistical Model. We are a sharp college football podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's the offseason. We are headed into March Madness. We're going to do a bracket. We're going to do a bracket here. I'll announce that in a second. But we had a little bit of news fairy. News fairy showed up today. Um, we had Jane Delora. I'm sorry, Jane Daniels. Damn it, Rob. I knew I was going to do that. Jane Daniels has decided which school he's going to transfer to. It is the uh, Louisiana State University Tigers featuring one Brian Kelly, Bayou's own Brian Kelly. Uh, I, I found this fascinating, Rob. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, this was this was a really interesting choice <laughs> on both sides. You got to think, I mean, like, so, so for all of the, uh, all the guff that Brian Kelly has got, with the fake accent and just all around being Brian Kelly. He did, he is a smart coach. Um, he does have a high floor. I'm trying to think back at the quarterbacks that he's had though. And I mean, is there anything that am I missing anyone that really popped out? You're like, wow, that guy was awesome. When, when he was playing under Brian Kelly's system. No, uh, it's, it's, I mean, Kelly over the years has not really put together a great offense. That's really been what's held him back for the most part at Notre Dame. Um, and they've, and I'm sorry, I refused. I refused to buy into this idea that you could not recruit a high four star or five star quarterback to Notre Dame. Yeah. Like Charlie, what Charlie fricking Weiss did it. Yeah. <laughs> Stanford's been you, doing it, it for years. Yeah. Yeah. It can be done. You know, so like, I don't like, uh, I just don't like a lot. There is a overwhelming bias, I think amongst quarterbacks in particular, and the ones that go to a lot of camps and things like that tend to be like, there's a lot of high quarterbacks from like high income families who went to really good school. So I'm sure could afford some tutoring to get their kids into Notre Dame. Like it's fine. <laughs> I don't, um, <clears throat> But like Kelly over the years has, has really struggled on offense. They've struggled in particular with like downfield passing. He has had a bit of a, you know, he's definitely like guys that are, he's, so one of the things he's definitely not, not had a lot of guys on his teams that are your prototypical NFL quarterbacks, right? Yeah. Not, you know, big guys with strong arms. They're often shorter. They're often smaller. They're often more mobile. Right. Um, and so like you could talk yourself into, um, you know, like, Hey, what they really wanted because who they have, I mean, miles Brennan who got injured, um, in 2020, but was playing pretty well for the most part. Um, I think people were unreasonably down on him, uh, within LSU. I thought he, and a lot of people thought that he played pretty well. You've got Garrison, Garrett Nussmeyer, who's a four-star recruit. He's a redshirt freshman. Um, you know, he's he played sparingly, but certainly has a lot of talent. Um, and then Walker Howard, you know, highly regarded four-star true freshman they have coming in. Um, 
all of those guys are your more, I mean, prototypical drop back passers, right? Like they're, they're not necessarily going to bring a lot in the running game. So you can talk yourself into like, Hey, maybe Jaden Daniels kind of fits what Kelly wants to do, but it's never really worked that well. <laughs> what Kelly <laughs> wants to do, you know, and like even Denbrock, his OC, you know, like he had Desmond Ritter at Cincinnati when Denbrock was calling plays, that Cincinnati Cincinnati offense stunk. Even with Ritter running the ball, they only took a step forward when you know Denbrock lost play calling. So it's interesting to bring it in because like all of those guys, Brennan, Nussmeyer, and Howard, they all have better arm talent than than Jane Daniels. Um, you know, so like it, it it does feel a little bit like, and I like look Daniels could very well win this job right? Like he could fit what the offense wants to do better than these other guys. Um, but I feel like, I mean, if, if, and you know, we're, we're coming at this from like a PAC 12 standpoint, right? But if you're coming at this from like an LSU standpoint and I have, I have some LSU followers and interact with them on Twitter. Um, this is, I mean, if Jaden Daniels wins this job with, you know, Denbrock calling plays like that's our, that's an offense with a real hard cap on it. Um, that's not likely going to be able to stretch the field and, and could really be in trouble in the SEC. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. Man, just see him. I mean, you still have the yellow going on, so he's got, he's got that on the on the uniform. So it won't look as yeah. strange, but it will look strange. It just I don't know. Like we've watched him for so long in an ASU uniform, and I think we have a pretty good idea of what he is. I wonder if he's the Pac-12's version of Charlie Brewer. Is that fair? Like we kind of know what he is. That is, uh, that's a remarkably apt comparison. Thank you. <laughs> so like, no, cause like I do feel like too, I mean, and, and you know, um, one of the ASU beat writers today was, you know, pointing out like, oh, I still think Jaden Daniels is more of 2019 Daniels than what we've seen the last two seasons. Um, but like we've talked about this ad nauseum, right? Like Daniels threw a lot of short stuff in 2019 really relied on, you know, Darby in the slot, um, to get yards after catch and Ayuk. I mean, they threw a lot of wide receiver screens. Like when, when they were doing the comparison for Ayuk in that draft in, uh, 2020 versus the other wide receivers, Ayuk was, stood out in two things. One, he had a ton of yards after catch compared to the other receivers getting drafted. And two, he had a, just an, an, an enormous, like, lead on the number of catches that came within five yards of the line of scrimmage. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, like the, the, you know, it is, it's like that Daniels that we saw versus what he was asked to do the last two seasons, you know, he was asked to run a, a you know, a, a, you know, a more conventional college offense um, than he ran his first year when they were really trying to tailor to what he could do well. Um, and that's what I sort of like, I mean, like I don't expect and you shouldn't expect like Jaden Daniels to be able to come in and suddenly become a much more accurate downfield passer. Um, you know, the, you know, this next season. Um, so that's like, I mean, if you're an LSU fan and the LSU fans I've talked to, like there are a lot of them, you know, that are, are, and, and, you know, some of the, you know, smarter folks that, you know, work or like, you know, are, are covering LSU football are kind of hoping Daniels doesn't win the job. Cause I think they're worried about what that might look like. Yeah, I but, I think that's fair. Ahead. No, that, that's a fair assessment, and yeah, we'll see. Because if you, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of another comparison where you have a school and you look at the quarterback room and you go, if this quarterback ends up winning, it highlights that the backups that had a high pedigree aren't there yet, right? And that's probably not great. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I, I wish. I mean, I, Oh, well, in I, this case, like, I think Brennan's got it. I think he's, I think Brennan's a talented guy. Like Kelly worked really hard to get him out of the transfer portal, but uh, you just kind of wonder, like, is he going to fit? Um, and it's true. I mean, like keep an eye on, like, I mean, I don't, I don't know if Daniels is going to be there for spring practice, but like, keep an eye on. Cause like, you know, Brennan, like, I mean, he's a guy that could like maybe try to enter the transfer portal. Daniels does win the job. Cause he might fit what, you know, Kelly and Denbrock want to do. Yeah. I hope he does well. I mean, it seems it was just a frustrating watch because there was some promise in the beginning. I think we had highlighted some of the flags that came with that promise. And, you know, like over time, it just I, I just wish he would have 
he had some decent games. Uh, I really liked his UCLA game where he was kind of throwing it around and chucking it around. But um, you know, you had the high highs and and kind of a some low lows there. So hopefully, I hope he sees the field. It'd be fun to watch him even in the SEC. He goes up against Mike Leach, you know, uh, <laughs> fellow Pac-12 alum. And anyway, anything else on him? I mean, he gets. I mean, Jaden Daniels gets Bama. <laughs> you know, well, like, yeah. <laughs> like, um, and they're like, uh, you know, he's he's gonna get. They get Florida. He gets A and M. Has a. I don't love A and M's new defensive coordinator coming in, um, but A and M has a remarkable front, like set of like front seven talent next season. Um, but you know, and I want to like, like, I will say this and, and Bud Elliott really, you know, made this point I thought today too, which was like good on Daniels for betting on himself. Right. Like, cause this, like, this was not like other opportunities he was going to have out there where he would be more of a sure thing. Like there is no guarantee that he wins this job. Like his, his edge, if he has one coming into this is that he is a more mobile quarterback that looks like the QBs that Denbrock and, Kelly have normally run out there. Yeah, I but, think the, to that point yeah. too, at, on the ASU side, right? Like if he stays at ASU, there's no feasible way he gets drafted. I mean, like I, I don't want to say never, but like in that system, it didn't seem like there was a lot of upside to him staying at ASU. So I think it made sense for him to leave. And it just, you know, uh, is LSU the place that he should have gone? I mean, like it's up to him and his parents and all that stuff. We'll see. But I, I do think him leaving was a for for his trajectory. If he wanted to really make a move um, up a draft board or onto a draft board, then I do think leaving was the right decision. And uh, to your point, and to Bud Elliott's point, like it's nice that you know he's he's willing to do that. So I I hope it works out for him. I will say, like it may sound like sometimes like we're down, like I like we were for a long time like sort of arguing against the hype, right? Yeah. <laughs> Not trying to like crap on Daniels, but like try to like slow down the hype train. And then, you know, like, it's not like you want the kids to do poorly or something. No, no. I mean, like, if if yeah. other people would have said, hey, this guy is interesting and it'll be fun to see what he can do, <laughs> right? Like, he had a really interesting freshman season. I would have been right there like, yeah, <laughs> like, I'm totally with you. Yeah. But it was so over the moon. Like, this guy is going to change the trajectory of the program and all that stuff. And I'm like, ah. I don't know about that. So I know it's, it is a bumper sometimes because I do think sometimes we're the wet blanket on some of this stuff. And sometimes we're wrong. And I like being wrong when I'm the wet blanket. It's just because that means that somebody outperformed what, what we thought yeah. they, they would be. We have, we have some more transfer news here, Rob. But one thing that we should mention is that March Madness is coming up. And we as a podcast decided uh, a couple of years ago, uh, particularly with Max uh, doing some work for Caesars that we were just going to focus on college football. So um, there are other podcasts out there. Um, I know that cover college basketball. I, um, I actually think, you know, one of the things that's bizarre is a little bit of a side note, but like not a lot of great podcasts that cover uh, the national on the national front, the color cover college basketball. I know our friends, no. at, it, it's pretty bad. I mean, like we have our friends at the truck stop uh, covers and they do pack 12, but I'm more talking on the national front. I'm like, yeah, man, it's really a bummer because I am, you know, like, and I think I'm kind of like a lot of college football fans where we, you know, we awake from our slumber after, after the break the, of the championship game. And we kind of dip our toe slowly into the college basketball water. And then all of a sudden, like, I'm all in, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find the summit league conference championship breakdown. Right. And there's like one person that has like five views. That's it is a bizarre world. All that to say that if you are looking at joining a, uh, a bracket pool, we're going to host one, right? <laughs> Similar to we did the last time, $10 entry fee. Um, all the entry fees will be paid out to the, the winners. I'll make sure to send out the breakdowns before I did, uh, the, like I did the last time. Um, and we'll make sure to get the winners out a little earlier this time too. Uh, and but, but it was really fun to do the bowl pool. So we'll do the same thing. Bracket challenge. If you want to join, let me know. Um, ten dollar entry fee, and um, you know we do Venmo, PayPal, whatever, and like again, we like we paid out everything, and and we actually had it was cool because we had a we had a fee to do like I hosted on like a professional site and then more people joined than we thought. So we got to pay out more than we thought, which is great. So hopefully that happens again. So if you're interested in joining our bracket challenge, um, let me know. You can tweet us at 12 pack radio, one, two PAC radio, or you can email us 
12packradio at gmail.com, 12packradio at gmail.com. Um, I know sometimes last minute, like people are scrambling around looking for a bracket to join, and uh, we would hap- happily have you. Um, so if you're interested, go ahead and do that. Rob, any thoughts on March Madness before we get into UCLA here? I mean, I'm actually kind of pumped for more. I mean, some of it may be that um, I, uh, unlike in football, where I root for everyone, and I root for good stories, <laughs> and I have a, and I have a giant model that I run on. <laughs> like I do get to be unabashedly a little bit of a fan in college basketball, um, and so like I mean Arizona and Wyoming being good is pretty fun this year. It's it's much more interesting than when you're you know you're suddenly tuning in and you're like oh god like Duke like I don't want to watch right like. <laughs> um, but it's, I think this year's like kind of, it kind of feels pretty wide open, right? I mean, like you certainly have your teams at the top that are playing really well. Um, but I don't know that there's anybody that's like going to be like a, you know, a clear prohibitive favorite coming in. Um, and that should make for a fun tournament in a lot of ways. Yeah, I'm really excited. And I should have mentioned too. So I'm going to be in Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament. So if you're, if you're in Vegas, if you want to grab a drink or just want to meet up, watch some games, or if you're going to the Pac-12 tournament games, I'm going to the Thursday early session and the Friday session. Let me know. That's actually how we met a couple of our friend, uh, Beardown Rich, uh, was, I think I, we met him, uh, through, well, we have through, through the podcast, we were able to meet up in Vegas. So I'm always happy to, to meet. I think George Reister is going to be out there. Hopefully George, you're still coming. Um, so I'm going to get to hit some people up if they're interested. So, um, again, let me know if you're coming 12 pack radio at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at 12 pack radio, uh, with all that stuff out of the way, Rob, we have some transfer news coming out of the portal. We have UCLA picked up a couple players from North Texas. What did they get here? So they got two of the, you know, what were graded out as two of the best players in the portal from like, uh, say the athletic, um, they get two brothers from, uh, North Texas, um, who, you know, were really good last season, you know, against uh, great, like a conference. I mean, I believe it's a conference USK, USA schedule. Um, you know, Grayson Murphy had eight and a half sacks last season. Gabriel Murphy had seven. Um, you know, quite a few tackles for a loss. I mean, really getting some of the, you know, the better pass rushers that were still uh, available uh, to come in. And that should really help bolster like this UCLA defense wasn't great against the pass last season. They're going to have to get better both in coverage and getting pressure on the quarterback. And, and, and this could help quite a bit. I don't, I mean, I don't expect this to be one where like, you know, you're necessarily talking about, um, these guys coming in and being massive stars. Like, I think that like, that is a possibility, but I think you're still likely to see them be, be able to come in and become really regular, solid contributors, maybe starters. That's good. I mean, you kind of need that right for, for UCLA, particularly on the defensive side, um, yeah. with, with a ho-hum hire for the defensive coordinator and, you know, build, build up that, build up that, uh, roster. Let's see, let's see what they can do. I, I think UCLA is still an intriguing team. I'm just trying to look through here. You know, I know that they got a, an offensive lineman from Rutgers, UCLA too. So they did get another player out of the portal. Did you see Gabe Reed went from Stanford to Utah? That's kind of interesting. Yeah, I did think that was an interesting, I mean, um, you know, good get for Utah potentially. I mean, like I, I certainly think that the, and we've talked like the coaching that he's had at Stanford hasn't been great. So, um, you know, I think that there's a real chance for him to, to, you know, contribute, uh, at Utah and, and, uh, get coached up and maybe be able to, to make a leap. Okay. I have one for you. Do you see, do you see it? a player from UCLA transferred to Oregon on the offensive side? Did you see this? And, and if no. not, all right, take a stab. Who do you think it was? Oh, wait, was it Coda? Yeah. <laughs> ah. Good job, Rob. Rob's on top of this stuff. Well, no, cause like he was a legacy, right? And, uh, he uh it, it, he almost went to Oregon and then he went to UCLA and he was like a get for UCLA and like played quite a bit in 2019 um and then just kind of fell off a little bit. He's more of a possession wide receiver. Yeah, um, big, than anything else. Big guy. He kind of reminds me of the old school Oregon wide receivers when Chip Kelly was there ironically, right? Where, you know, you had big bodies that would block and then you know, they catch a ball every once in a while. I mean, he he like it's it's interesting cuz he certainly has some talent. We'll see how, like, you know, he didn't, he never really like blew off the page. And I was kind of excited that he committed to UCLA. I'm like, Oh, this is interesting. Let's see what they can do with it. And then it kind of was just, okay, there he is. Chase Cota got another 40 yards a game. So I'm curious to see again, like, and we talked about Oregon's wide receiving core. I'm, I'm just not as, yeah. I'm not sold yet. I, I want to see the, 
the talent on the paper pop off and, and really produce on the field. And uh, maybe they will with a new uh, new quarterback. So we shall see. Anything else in the Pac-12? No, I mean, it's like we're quite, I mean, you know, Arizona opened spring practice for one day and then went on break. Um, Sounds like my kind of practice. That's, that's the one I want to go to. (laughs) I think they mostly did some weigh-ins. Like they did like some, like, uh, you know, like, uh, they weren't wearing like thigh pads, you know, like, uh, you know, we're just wearing shorts. Um, so like not a full contact, you know, scrimmage or anything like that. Then, you know, I called it a, I think spring break is coming. So, um, kind of got everybody in, got weigh-ins, did a head count, told them I'll come back after spring break. There's dirt bags. Here's, you know, here's fraternity yeah. row. Here's sorority row. All right. Get out of here guys. Yeah. <laughs> Have fun. You kids. Um, Okay, let's get to what we want to do is go through uh, the next round of uh, rankings of beta rank our preseason projections. Really excited about that. We're going to go uh, sub 30. We're going into some really interesting teams, some other teams that can really pop up, maybe some teams that could sink like a stone. Uh, I'm really excited to get to these, and let's do it right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. We're going through the 2022 Beta Rank preseason college football projections it might be college football season or college basketball season everywhere, but not here at 12 pack radio. We are rolling through the, uh, an interesting group of teams here, Rob. We, and again, as we've talked about before, and if you haven't listened to the previous shows while we go through these projections, uh, please do, because there is a significant drop off between certain teams in, in one region of our rankings and others. And so it's interesting here because as we go through, we have a lot of teams that are kind of like squeezed together here, Rob, not a lot of difference in terms, you know, difference in, in how they play and, and difference in what, what they bring to the table, strengths and weaknesses. But overall, as we're going through, gosh, like 30 through 45, I mean, th- there is, there is a couple teams out here that are a little bit lower, but man, we're, we're looking through here and like, it seems like most of these teams are going to be probably even on a neutral field. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that that's correct. Like uh, a lot of these teams, like the, the distance between these teams, like there's, they're pretty tightly bunched, you know, as we go through here. So like, you know, the distance between like 30 and 39, I'm not even sure is that that's a toss up game. Oh, like the, it'd be a 52% for Purdue win probability, but the projected spread would be zero. They're, they're, they're that close. That's wild. That's really crazy that these are all together because they're fascinating. Okay, let me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna name them off. I'm gonna go one through ten here. So this is actually 31 through 40. We have Kentucky at 31, Central Florida at 32, Louisville at 33, USC at 34, Tennessee at 35, Washington at 36, Memphis 37, Baylor 38, Florida State 39, and BYU, Pac-12's 13th team, clocks in at number 40. Rob. Um, did any of these teams pop out? You know, we'll, we'll go through them kind of like, and we'll kind of squench them together. But are there any teams that really jump out at you as, um, as just interesting in this batch of teams? I mean, I hate to say everyone, but almost everyone in here. I mean, at the exception of like maybe Baylor and Florida state, <laughs> um, like Kentucky's a really interesting team. Like they took a huge step forward with Liam Cohen as their offensive coordinator last season. He's actually been, he did such a good job. He was probably the best new offensive coordinator in college football last year uh, with uh, Penn state transfer. Will Levis, their offense was really, really good last year. Number five overall in beta rank. Um, That's why uh, I just want to stop you. That's wild because when you think of Kentucky, you thought of that methodical, just like, you know, four yards in a cloud of dust kind of offense. And just to be able to flip that around, what, like what, what really, like, where did they, where was that bread butter? Because I just, um, they ran the ball really well. Okay. Um, but Levis was a real threat passing and he completed 66% of his passes. Oh, okay. um, 
and like that was a big thing. That was a big shift too, bringing him in. So they, so they, Liam Cohen is off to be. I mean, he did such a good job. He's off to be the offensive coordinator for the Rams, the Super Bowl oh. champion Rams. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so like, just like FYI, like it wasn't just me saying like, hey, he did a really good job. Like he got a significant, you know, significant promotion. Um, but they're bringing in another guy from that Shanahan offense, um, but this time from the Niners. Um, Rich uh, Scangarello is now going to be the new OC there. So they're hoping for some continuity. Like, and it's again, like, I'm not sure that you're going to end up with the same quality that you ended up with Cohen. Uh, but Kentucky's an interesting team to watch out for because uh, Levis is back and they're going to be running the same offense. He's going to be comfortable with it. So if Scangarello is any good, I mean, this team won 10 games last year, um, you know, in the sec, they're in a, they're just a, they're an interesting team to kind of keep an eye on under the radar. Um, If they can take another step forward defensively where they were at 22 last season, they were good, but not great. Um, If they can take a step forward defensively, like you're, you're talking about a team that could maybe like upset, you know, with a little luck, maybe upset Georgia. Yeah, no, that that's a, that's a really fascinating too because I was listening to the Cover Three podcast and they were talking about like what is the game that Georgia is most likely to lose and and Kentucky popped up because I think it's their I think they have like four road games in a row or like that you know they catch Kentucky at a weird time where it's it's not necessarily that Kentucky is better than some of these other teams in the SEC it's just Kentucky is a quality team. And yeah. they will be playing Georgia at the exact perfect time that you'd want to play them if you're a team in the SEC. So that's fascinating. Yeah. That's funny that you bring that up. Uh, and 22 is quite good. Of course, Mark Stoops is, you know, the fact that Kentucky was able to keep him is great. And his yep. contract where he wins, like, if he wins eight games, he gets another year automatically added onto his contract. It's, it's like such a funny contract, but it's actually really smart for Kentucky as long as he's good. You know, they're going to have a decent right. team for a long time, and he's made them competitive. I just, I remember when Kentucky yeah. sucked, like for a very long period of time. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, Stoops has done a heck of a job. I mean, like, I thought I was a little surprised he didn't get a bigger job this season, uh, to be frank. No, I mean, like, because he's, you know, you're not there. There aren't that many guys. I mean, if you looked across the, you know, with how many big jobs were open there, you know, and like, you know, Mark Stoops doesn't get, you know, like, I mean, and Billy Napier gets hired at Florida from the Sun Belt. Meanwhile, Mark Stoops just won 10 games. <laughs> right. Like, and it's not like, it's not like he's doing it like, oh, he won 10 games at Tennessee or like someplace that's like at least something of like a, a regarded as like a somewhat traditional power, like winning 10 games at Auburn. Like he's turned Kentucky into a regular contender. And then he went out this year and won 10 games. And like, people are like, and, and higher, like made a higher in Cohen. That was a terrific hire. I was just, I was surprised. I was surprised that like, you know, it's some of the hires that, that Stoops didn't get more traction. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny going from Kentucky and then right below them, you have UCF and you have Gus Malzahn. This- downside. I'm, I'm out. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I think UCF is like a downside candidate. They were bad. They were bad last year. So is this, is uh, this coaching and development? Because if you look at the numbers, like UCF yeah. had 83 offense, a 48 defense, is this the model just like not not recognizing that like most of the coaching staff that have been developing these players over the years are gone. Yeah, they're getting Josh Heupel credit, right? Like if that's going to happen, like I mean, like there's no way for me to correct for this, unfortunately. <laughs> so like you're just getting a ton of credit for having all the good stuff that Josh Heupel did, um, you know, at at UCF. Um, you know, like I said, like you said, like they were at 83 on offense last year. Like Gus Miles on lost his fastball on offense at Auburn a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, and like we talk about like the offense, the offensive explosion since 2017, like it's not just that like Malzahn got left behind as did most of college football by the very best offenses. He got worse. (laughs) (laughs) So like his, his offense last year was really, really bad. Um, you know, the defense was decent for a group of five level. The special teams were just awful. Now, the other thing holding them up is they return a ton of production. The number 18 wow. overall at returning production, they got 79% coming back, um, 30, number 32, you know, on offense, number 20 on defense. But I still like, I thought them all like, and I had some, I, when I previewed them last year, I was, I, I did not say kind things about the balls on hire. And I got some really sassy UCF fans back at me. <laughs> But 
Like, I think this is the year, like, I think they're going to go, they continue to, to regress. Um, you know, like, and I think, I don't know that the American is like so good, um, that you're going to like, you know, that the win total is going to suffer, but you will absolutely notice when UCF plays like the top level teams in the American, um, you know, like Cincinnati, you will see the gap. Um, you know, and I think the same thing goes of like, if, if say Houston takes a little bit of a step forward this year, um, you know, you'll see the gap between Houston and, and, and UCF. Huh. And, and by the way, Rob, it's, it's formal national champion UCF fans to you, not just sassy UCF. Fans. Yeah. They, not they, just sassy. <laughs> they won that title. Uh, so under them, so the, it's fast. Another team that's interesting to me is Louisville because yeah. the, the, I, frankly, I watched one game of Louisville football this past year, and it was a game that I had bet on that wasn't using the model. Uh, and I lost that game, and I lost it in stupid fashion. And I'm like, I'm never watching this team for the rest of the year. I like took it personally. <laughs> I was so mad about it. I think they played Kentucky. Actually, I forget who they played, but it was a stupid game. So Louisville, good offense. Um, yeah, not a great defense. And who is the like? Who is the coach at Louisville? Like I just have Satterfield. This, like, oh, he's from App State. That's right. Okay. Um, and no, and look like they're like the offense has really come together for them. I mean, they were in the they were at number thirteen in beta rank offensively last year. Um, you know, 69 in defense, they just fired their defensive coordinator. They were in his first year, he took over like Bobby Petrino left a smoking crater on the defensive side of the ball. They were like 120 or worse on defense. <laughs> um, so like the D, the, the, the D coordinator just got fired. Like even though getting to 69 is significant progress, um, they were still horrendous. I mean, I'm trying to remember the game. Last, I mean, they had a couple games this past year that were just wild shootouts, right? Like, yeah. um, yeah. And they were kind of entertaining for that. Like you could, you could absolutely just see, but I mean, just on a raw, <clears throat> their offense scored 2.57 points per drive. Their defense gave up 2.43 points per drive. <laughs> so, <laughs> Lots of close games out there. The special teams are also really bad. I mean, look, they have the potential if they can get the defense figured out. It's not as if when you look at Louisville here, I mean, like they haven't recruited great, but they're, they're at 49 overall in recruiting. Um, you know, they certainly have some room, I think to, to significantly improve there. Um, you know, but like they're not, and they're not, uh, they're not returning a ton. I mean, they are returning a lot. Actually, no, I'm wrong. Like they are returning quite a bit, a lot on the offensive side of the ball, a lot on the defensive side of the ball or less on the defensive side of the ball, but they're at number eight returning on offense. That offense should be really, really good again for them. They just need the defense to take a step forward. I mean, that's why like they're kind of a team to watch because the ACC has been so bad. They could pile up some wins. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. Cause I'm looking at this team going, I don't know. Like it could be a team that, that sinks. You know, maybe, maybe the offense, but when you mentioned them returning players, you just go, all right, Wake Forest. Now their offense wasn't Wake Forest, but Wake Forest was able to make some noise yeah. in the ACC because the ACC was garbage. You know, this right. And actually, like from a metric standpoint, Louisville did better than Wake Forest. I think just Wake Forest was so splashy with the air, you know, the air attack. Yeah. That's probably where that was. Uh, okay. That's, that's interesting. You know, right below them is USC. Woohoo! I know where we're finally, finally making progress here. Um, I mean, if you're looking at teams that could make a pop, obviously the higher of Lincoln Riley. Uh, I think one there's two numbers that stand out for me when we're taking a look at these numbers, which you can follow along at sharpcollegefootball.com. Uh, the first is 105 on defense. Woo! And oh god, just a, just awful. And 108 in coaching and development. Hopefully that that that's the easiest part to turn around. I hope. Well, both of those, right? Like you know, if you're yeah. able if you're able to get your hands in the dirt and really get get some progress here, I think hopefully that's the the best areas where you can see some significant work done. I mean, look like the two year rolling recruiting for, you know, uh, Helton's last class, which wasn't bad. Um, and Riley's first class is, is still seventh overall, right? Like, so it's not, I mean, and that's not even counting in all the transfer talent that they brought in, you know, you're at 108, like you said, in, in, you know, returning or in, in coaching and development. I mean, there are very few teams in college football that have done as poorly as USC, you know, like relative to the talent level they bring in. 
But we talked like, I mean, the big thing is like, I mean, the pass defense was God awful for them. 119 overall, an effective pass. They gave up a ton of big plays. 102 there. I mean, it is like, can can they fix the pass defense, you know, in year one? I think they can make significant progress. I don't think they can catch Utah, though. If they got Utah, oh, man, that'd make the Pac-12 significantly more fun than it is right now. I think you talk yourself into them being significantly better on offense, right? You know, with Caleb Williams, the different players and talent that they brought in. I mean, you should expect, I mean, Lincoln Riley is going to be a huge upgrade over what they were doing offensively. Um, you know, Alex Grinch, I think the jury's out a little bit, but I, I think he's still going to be a massive upgrade over what they're doing. You know, it's just a bit, it's like a sort of a question of like, by how much, right? Like by how much is USC better? They weren't great last season. Um, you know, they finished at 73 overall. So there's, I mean, there's certainly room for improvement, but like we haven't projected it, you know, at uh, 34, you know, upside, I don't think for them, I don't think they have top 10 upside next year. I think they have too many problems to fix. Yeah, no, it's, I I mean, we've, we've talked to them at nauseum, but it is kind of fun to put them in context of some of the other teams, right? They're all around Louisville, UCF, which is kind of funny, but like, you know, UCF, really coasting they're the opposite of usc ucf is coasting on its laurels <laughs> usc has been like you know dragged down by its history so it's kind of a fun hopefully that those are two ships crossing each other in the night on different axes yeah. of the curve. um you know under, under usc we have tennessee who if you're a tennessee fan you're super excited right i mean this is finally <laughs> you know there is hope it's it, all this time it's just been and i think that if there's one fan base that really gets worked up over things it is tennessee because they feel like they should be back in the in the hit and right in the thick of things and they finally are and i think that's fascinating so you know what, what yeah. do we have in tennessee i mean josh heupel i mean listen like i think you got to give an immense amount of credit you know like josh heupel came in they were at number they finished at number four overall offensively in beta rank last year but more to the point like he had been running you know a bit of an air raid hurry up at ucf heavily dependent on the pass totally flips around the offense they ran the ball really effectively last season he leaned into what his players did best they finished at number three last season an effective pass uh, i mean effective rush um, you know, kudos to that. Like for them, they really just have to fix the defense. They're at 52 on defense last year in beta rank. They had some good numbers um, outside of their drive efficiency number was at 90 and their negative drives at 71. They just got to find a way to get off the field. Like they, they stunk on third down, like in particular on, on 42% of their third downs, they gave up a first down. Um, and like, that's, that's far, far too high of a rate for them. So like they, they fix their down next year, um, you know, and force more three and outs like your, your Tennessee could really be cooking. It, it's kind of fun too, because when Tennessee is good, it, it's not like, it's not the same thing as when USC is good. The PAC 12 is good. Cause the, the SEC, you know, obviously has a taste, but when Tennessee is good, it's just, I love when you have those mid tier teams, really break through and just start punching people in the mouth. Like that is, that is always fun. You know, like Alabama going to Tennessee and then there's a hundred thousand screaming fans with an actually a good team, you know, like there's a hundred thousand fans and they're all depressed. So it's really fun when they're fired up and ready to go. You know, they brought in a new defensive coordinator, uh, Tim Banks, who came from Illinois, um, where he was at Cincinnati for a bit, central Michigan um, and Penn state. I don't know. Yeah, be, you're right. I, the defense is the area that needs to be shored up, but I'm really excited to see what Tennessee can bring to the table next year. And, and just the, the, the brand name. And, um, you know, one of the things that's interesting to me though, is that for a team that has that, like that chutzpah, like Tennessee does 22 in recruiting rankings over time, that, that just, that strikes me as low for, for a program like that. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Yeah. They've really suffered from, like, I mean, the, the year that they hired Heupel, they had that long oh, yeah. drawn out. Um, so their, their recruiting class was not good. Um, and then I don't know if Heupel really was able to, to turn it around much this year either. So that, that one will be interesting to see because as good as Heupel's coaching has been, he certainly is going to have to 
to turn it on a little bit more on the recruiting trail. Um, you're not going to be able to to hang with Bama and Georgia and some of the very top teams in the SEC, um, you know, sitting at 22 overall in recruiting. Gosh, when you have an administration going after a coach in the SEC saying, he cheated, he cheated, <laughs> like – yeah. What a freaking disaster. What a, I totally forgot about that. What a mess. Uh, oh, yeah. And like you kind of feel like, hey, should we have maybe, you know, like were they going to be? It's kind of like Auburn, right? Auburn, that administration and those boosters have just made such a mess of that job that it's going to be really hard yeah. to bring somebody in. And, you know, Tennessee lucked out. They were able to get somebody that looks like he actually has a vision for the program he's pushing it forward but they did have to reach down to UCF to do that and I right. wonder if that was a re like maybe they just lucked out because I don't know if they're going to be able to attract a high a high level coach that already has the baked in you know high level wins at a power five conference I don't know just keep they need, you know, they need Heupel to keep working out, right? Like they they need to not have to go back on the market for sure. Oh my gosh, what a mess! Um, you know, if if you don't want to have to pay buyouts, then don't put the buyout in the contract. <laughs> you know, like yeah. <laughs> they're calling themselves out for cheating in order to get out of that one. That's interesting. Uh, below them is Washington, and they clock in at thirty six. Yeah, ninety three hey. in offense. Oof. Oh, go ahead. Oof. Yeah, it was just I was just shuddering as I watched that. No, no. I mean, like, well, you're right. I mean, the offense, I mean, like we're expecting the offense to be significantly better with Ryan Grubb and uh, Kalen DeBoer. Um, I like Michael Penix. I think what you saw with Penix, you know, this last year, there's a reason Nick Sheridan is not the offensive coordinator at, uh, at Indiana anymore. Um, you know, he, he was far and away had his best years with DeBoer calling plays. Um, so I think the offense can, can, you know, take a step forward and really improve. Um, but the, you know, like, I think my biggest question for Washington is actually around the defense <laughs> because yeah. um, what are they going to run and how does the personnel fit? Um, you know, the defense has really been the calling card for this team, you know, since Peterson, you know, the Peterson era started and will include the end of Jimmy Lake in that too. Um you know, and what are the, you know, is, I guess my question is, is like, you know, you're taking like the, the foundation is now not there, right? Like, I mean, what, and what does this defense look like? I think is the, for me is really the biggest question. Um, but Washington too, I mean, you're talking about a team there in their last two seasons and they certainly had their turmoil. They're only at 27 overall in their two year rolling recruiting. Yeah. I mean, 3.2 that's, I mean, and we talked about this a little bit, like they didn't hire any recruiters on the staff, really. That's my big watch out. Like, I think Washington should be better than last year, but are we going to be taught, like, what's the ceiling for this staff? I think is a really interesting question for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to see that 93 pop up. I'm sure that will happen. You know, it, it's weird to say you like to see when a team's offensive coordinator leaves and they take a giant nosedive after a couple of years. It's not that you want that team to fail. It's more just kind of highlights the strength of the previous coach. And uh, yeah. we saw that at Fresno state. We're going to see that at Washington. So that's fun. Yeah. The defense we'll see it. It's possible that the, you know, top 25 wasn't like they were killing. It. I mean, some of those old Washington, not old, but like just two years ago, right. The Washington was in like top five defense. And you're just like, Holy Moses, this defense is fun. Um, yeah, they were moderately fun through the air. They were not fun on the ground. <laughs> so we'll yeah. See. Well, they recruited, I mean, like they almost really ran like a two man front. Right. So like, it'll be interesting to see if they switch to a more conventional front, what the bodies look like, you know, and like what the depth chart looks like, um, out of that and coming into this year. Yeah. All right. Let's do a few more teams here. We have some really fascinating ones, including Baylor. I have, I have some, some questions about Baylor here and let's do okay. that right after this. All right, we're back. Hitting the bottom part of the 40s here. Number 37, the Memphis Tigers. I mean, I'm interested to see this, right? Because like they're it's they're kind of got to figure themselves out since Norvell left, right? Um I'm interested to see if Grant Gannell, formerly of Arizona, can break through. He was injured last year. Um, you know, and I, I think had shoulder surgery and couldn't play. Um, I mean, a guy that certainly the scouts 
um, and the guys that like pro football focus really liked. Um, now they offensively, they lost their offensive coordinator. Um, they've had hired Tim Cramsey and is the new OC. He was prior at Marshall and Marshall had a decent, I mean, like not a, not great. They had a stay at 65 overall in beta rank on offense. That's not a terrible offense for a group of five team. Um, but it's, I mean, like they're, they, so they're kind of moving away from running that Norvell. I mean, Norvell runs his own offense. Um, they're kind of moving away from running that. Um, I'm really just, I, I am, I'm really interested to see this Memphis team because like they have a really high coaching and development carryover from the Norvell years, you know, and like they're, um, when you, when we look at them again, like they're, they're returning a decent amount. Um, but I, 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 I think that they're a team a little bit on the precipice. Like you can talk me into Memphis, like, just like with UCF, like you can talk me into them falling off, um, and heading back towards, you know, where they were before. I'm just, uh, they, you know, they, they had promoted Silverfield internally when Norvell left. Um, you know, they've, they just really, they, they really, I mean, they were bad last year, for good chunks of it. They were at 66 on offense. I mean, and again, like I just said, like, that's not bad. Like that's not bad for a group of five offense, but like under Nor- Norvell, they were consistently a top 20 offense. Yeah. Um, I, well, I was looking at like their coach and I'm like, I, I follow college football fairly closely. And I'm like, who the F is Ryan Silverfield? <laughs> like, I've never heard of this oh, guy. Yeah. So, and yeah, and you're, that makes sense. Internal promotion, moving away from a top offense, you know, like, or just a system that has, has worked. Ugh. I don't know, man. They, they were awful, awful on special teams last year. So they should, I mean, it is hard to be at 123 in special teams. I mean, like, just give a freaking kicker a scholarship, man. <laughs> um, you know, like make some field goals. But like, that's like, they shouldn't like special teams. You should expect them to bounce back a bit. I mean, if they're not, if they're that bad again, they're really in trouble. Um, but yeah, I mean like they're, they're not like, again, like the, in the American, like it's not overwhelming outside of like, say Cincinnati, like they could still like put it together. Um, but it's, it's tough. Like, uh, I don't think thus far that this coaching staff has really worked out. And I, I think they could find themselves in a little bit of trouble. I was surprised. I, I got, I mean, I got some guff from some Memphis fans when I was questioning the Silverfield hire. Oh. <laughs> and, um, after it was made instead, cause they're, they could have gone out and hired, like they wanted to keep it going. Like it's that kind of thing. Like if we have, we've had the success with this coach and the system and we want to keep that going and stick with what we've has been working for us. But, um, it's not always the system. Sometimes it's the play caller. Um, and it really hasn't worked for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. That that's one where I could see falling down a little bit because they are boosted more by that coaching and development, you know, 66 on offense, 82 on defense. Six and six in the conference, USA. Woof. Okay. All right. Well, I got my eye on you, Envis. Let's go to Baylor, number 38. Talk about pro, you know, like these could be two ships passing the night too, right? You have Memphis that possibly could fall like a stone. And then Baylor at 38, I'm assuming a lot of this was, you know, I'm curious why they're so low. I know there's some reasons why the model has them lower, but um, am I walking through that? Yeah. I mean, so Baylor coming in, like they're, we've got them projected 38, which does feel a little low. They've got a decent number for, uh, for, uh, coaching and development. Some of that's rules. Some of that's Aranda. They're sitting at 43 there. Um, they're just not returning as much as you'd like, <laughs> you know, off this team from last year, 98 overall in returning production. Um, they're only at 65 on offense. Their offense really does need to take a bit of a step forward for them. Um, you know, like they, uh, they were good ish. I mean, they improved last year. They were at 30 overall. Um, you know, like they, uh, you know, and, and, but, and the defense really carried them, but they also last year, the big 12 was just so top heavy last year. Um, you know, you have three teams, Oklahoma state, Oklahoma and Baylor that all won 10 games. Um, but in that, like, that just means like, when you see that you should not think, oh man, the big 12 is so good. You should think like, oh, the big 12 has three good, maybe great teams. In this case, they were all just good teams. And then a bunch of really bad teams, <laughs> like <laughs> that you just beat the tar that all those other teams just beat the tar out of. Um, and Jeff Grimes, their OC, I mean, 
they need what they need this year because they're what really hurts. They're at 115 in returning production on defense. And they're recruit. I mean, this is true. A lot of the teams that are left over in the Big 12, their recruiting is not great. They're at 48 overall in their two-year rolling recruiting average. I mean, they only recruit a little bit better than Memphis. So that's like, I mean, the, the main thing that's hurting Baylor coming off of last year is that they were they were good. They weren't like they weren't like the, their their win loss record was a little more gaudy. Um, you know, than their, than their actual performance on the field. And then they, uh, um, they just don't return as much as you like is the main thing with them. Okay. Yeah. One of the things too, that was interesting was that it appears that Aranda flipped things around where he was that stereotypical defensive head coach where he's not taking chances. He wants to rely on special teams. He wants to rely on his defense. He's going to kick, you know, on the 40 yard line. And last year, it seems like he turned that around a little bit, which is exciting, right? Because you want to see an off. I mean, we're kind of in an era, like you mentioned, a big offense where you kind of need to put up points. And just the fact that he's willing to take some risks and they paid off. So I'm curious to see if he keeps that process going because uh, it's, it's a really cool story. I mean, this is a guy that almost got kicked out of his apartment in Hawaii um, and almost quit coaching. And then, you know, all of a sudden he is just... Um, kind of lit the world on fire in Waco. And it looks like he's he's actually, at least for this year, wanted to stay loyal. I'm sure there was a couple teams that were knocking on the door of Baylor trying to get get at him, and he decided to stay down there. And, uh, I mean, I'm sure they're paying him handsomely <laughs> to do so, but yeah. just kind of cool, you know, to see somebody, like, just stick with the team, um, at least at least temporarily. No, and that's one of the big things that people, I think, have really talked about with Baylor is, like, Aranda interviewed for a lot of head coaching jobs over the years and never got one. And I think he does feel a lot of loyalty for Baylor to for giving him the shot. Nice. Well, that paid off for him, so we'll see if he can keep that going. Right underneath him, Rob, a team that could be on the precipice of, of shooting up like Baylor did. That's Florida State at number 39. Um you know, I, I think that there was some some hype for this team this year, and then they lost to Jacksonville State. <laughs> so it's kind of yeah. yeah. I don't think I, I think from what I was hearing, the coaching staff was telling people like, "Look, if we can get to six and six, we'll be we'll be in good shape." Like they they were really trying to push for a bowl game. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to think of Florida State because, I mean, you the the, the offense is is interesting, but it was 41. Um, the defense wasn't a top 25 defense. Uh, what do we have to expect from this? So I think with this, this Florida state team, like they, they've talked about like that. They knew they had like a full rebuild, right. From the end of the Jimbo era when they, and Willie Taggart, when they hired in Norvell in particular, the offensive line has been a real problem for them. Um, and so you're, you're, you're kind of hoping, I guess you could say, you know, that if you're Taggart or not Taggart, but Norvell, that you've still got some leash with the fans, um, to, you know, help get you through it. They just, they really, I don't, I don't know if they have the QB talent on, you know, on the roster. They were pretty good running the football last season, 20 and effective rush, but 69 and effective pass. I mean, they just couldn't throw the football. Um, the defense did take a bit of a step forward, finishing at 33. I, you know, I like, and they got a, they got a good transfer in from Albany of all places, um, <laughs> coming in, you know, I mean, Florida state's a team that like their coaching and development numbers like low, low, low. I mean, the end of the Jimbo era, the one year of Willie Taggart, you know, the short Novell Norvell stretch, they've not added much in coaching and development. The recruiting's okay. They're at 18 overall. You know, and that's been a sore spot, I think, for fans with Norvell. I mean, getting beat out by Deion Sanders in an FCS school. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I mean, like, look, like, I mean, Norvell is still a smart offensive guy. The defense appears to be heading in the right direction. You know, 69 on special teams, that's certainly something that's, you know, can quickly improve. Um, If they can get anything going, you know, and that's a big question for them. I mean, when we say this, like anything going at all offensively, um, you know, and, and throwing the football, that would really change things for them. But I don't like, uh, I mean, Jordan Travis, who took the majority of the snaps last year, 
you know, like just not great. McKinsey Wilton, Wilton wasn't great in there either. Some of that's on the wide receivers, but yeah, I, I have a hard time seeing them taking a really big step forward. I feel like this isn't going to be like what, what folks hope with, with like Lincoln Riley at USC, which is like, as a, the economist in me would be like a V shaped recession, right? Like a sharp fall and then a quick rise, right? Like, yeah. um, although I mean, I, I, I don't think this Clay Helton era would be like a sharp fall. It was just a long crappy, <laughs> but it's like a kitty like, roller coaster. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you have that kind of quick recovery. Like, I don't think, but I also don't, I think Norvell inherited a worse roster than Riley did. I mean, I don't think this, this like, so I think his is like an actual gradual rebuild, especially um, on the offensive line. Right. That was, that was a huge yeah, problem. So yeah. the fact that they could run the ball, I think is improvement and encouraging because at least, at least that line was able to do something. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's like, they were able to run block pretty well. Um, I mean, just looking at football outsiders numbers, I mean, the backs did quite a bit of work for them. They only graded out at 57 overall in their line yards, which is the, you know, the yards per rush that you can attribute to the offensive line. That's not terrible, but it's not great. And they were at 118 in sack rate. Oh my God. 9.9. Now a lot of sacks are attributable to the quarterback. (laughs) holding the football. <laughs> so it's not all on the line. They can certainly use some help, but I mean, that's where like, I mean, I, I think I've, as I recall, and this is like, I, I recall like Mackenzie Milton got hurt again. Um, you know, Cheva Purdy has, has transferred, um, you know, like it's, uh, you know, like they, they've really got a lot going on like Jordan Travis or Mackenzie Milton, like really figuring it out. Well, good luck. They are in the ACC, so they have that going for them. You know, like there, it is possible they can really uh, build. Remember, Willie Taggart was at Oregon for like what the hell was that for? Like, for like a, a year. Minute, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's freaking insane. I mean, he really wiggled his way into a couple places and then just fell. Where is he at now? Where's Willie Taggart at? Oh, he's at FAU. Is he the head coach, or is he like a offensive? Yeah, he's the head coach. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's the head coach. Well, that's not going to work out. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not so far um all right let's let's get to this last team and we'll pack it in for today byu number 40 this so i'm looking at these numbers these splits here rob and it's just fast like right i mean we got 70s and ones and twos and 71 and like they're kind of just it's like a, a big up and down like a like it reminds me of like um like AMC stock chart right it's just going up and down yeah. what what on earth is this byu team no, I mean, this is true of a lot of teams in college football, right? But in particular, like some of these teams that we're projecting here, like they had a, like they were really imbalanced, right? Like a lot of these teams were really good on one side of the football and that was it. And that was BYU last year because they were at number seven overall on offense. They were at 70. I mean, their defense was God awful. I mean, like that. So I will say this, like for a group of five team and BYU fans are going to get insulted at me saying that, but until <laughs> you join the big 12, you are still a group of five team. Um, you know, like, <clears throat> so number, like that's not a terrible defense for them, like 70 overall. Um, but it's limiting. And then 71 on special teams. I mean, like, but we saw this, like, I mean, this, this BYU offense, particularly, you know, with Hall at quarterback, they could move the ball. Um, and he was good at throwing it too. I mean, they were number 12 in effective pass last season. Like the Pac-12 got a got a, a like a an eyeful of this BYU offense for sure. But man, this defense sucked. Like Arizona moved the ball. <laughs> yeah. With Gutter Cruz. Like, yeah, I was going to say Arizona with their worst quarterback moved the ball on BYU. Um, you know, they really struggled. They gave up. I mean, against not the world's, I mean, like, uh, you know, part of it is like against a really easy schedule for the most part of opposing offenses, you know, they gave up 2.37 points per drive. That's not great. Um, you know, and they gave up the, they gave up 43% conversion on third downs. I mean, like that's an enormous conversion rate for third downs and they really, really struggled was against the pass. I mean, you could throw the ball all over them. Um, you know, that's why like, I mean, Utah struggled because they had freaking Charlie Brewer up in the, I mean, Charlie Brewer couldn't pass as, I mean, couldn't pass at all. So 
I, I mean, I like, I mean, like Hall's back. I like this BYU team. I think offensively they could really cook Aaron Roderick. DOC is back again. Um, you know, like, so there's, there's certainly a lot to like, uh, about them. They, they develop talent pretty well. You know, I think comparatively they return a ton. I mean, just a ton What's holding them back is their recruiting. Isn't great. They're at 76 overall. 2.4. I mean, their average two-year star rating is 2.41. Um, you know, so what's holding them back is that their defense wasn't great, their special teams weren't great, and they don't recruit very well. Um, but beyond that, like you could really like you it, to see this BYU team get to where you know, like they finished at 30 overall last season. To see them finish higher, this defense just has to take a really big step forward. Ah, huh. well, that's interesting. I'm I, I just always. I'm always going to have my eye on BYU because, you know, it's just, it's a unique school. They, they're able to hold talent. Um, they, they have some pipelines and, you know, when you have a good coach, it's an interesting program. And Sataki, there was a couple of years where I'm like, I don't know about this guy. And then he really, I mean, he followed up, he had a good sucking album, basically. I think that's yeah. kind of what you can yeah. describe this last, you know, uh, and that, that was kind of good. So I'm just really interested to see what they're able to do next year. And then when they move the jump into the uh, the Big 12, um, it'll just be a fun team to add to that conference. Rob, let's wrap it up here. Is there, uh, I'm trying to think, so we'll we'll keep going through the preseason rankings, but uh, we're running into to college basketball season. So Let's get to some of these fall cam- uh, spring camps, probably after the first two rounds of the tournament. So we'll, we'll keep cranking things out, but um, it'll be nice to be able to get into spring ball and, and get a first look at some of these teams as they go through. It's a, it's amazing how spring ball like basically became winter ball for, for ASU for a couple of years. So um, I'm sure we'll have some interesting uh, th- things to keep an eye out for. Uh, anything else to mention before we sign off here? No, still rolling through the previews. I've got to do Georgia, Ohio State, and Alabama this week. Ooh, hot stuff coming through, right? Heavyweights. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, If you're interested in joining the bracket, let us know. And in the meantime, we will catch you soon.